93.3 RLC WVPH FM Piscataway. It's the Core News for the week of Monday, April 11th. This week on the Core News, we are enjoying the beautiful weather today. Of course, it's New Jersey, so who knows if it will last, you know, through the week. I've already had someone suggest that we're likely to have snow by next week. I don't think that's true, though. I'm just going to think positively. We're going to have lovely weather and enjoy the end of the year here at Rutgers. And if you want to enjoy this week at Rutgers, then you can listen to the WikiLeak of the Week. Here's some local news. We'll have part two in Norton's series on mood disorders. We'll talk to Mary, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Targum, about what's happening at Rutgers. You've got some comics and gaming news. Find out what's happening in music. And, of course, learn about what is going on at the Rutgers Zone this week. It's their birthday. So remember to say something nice. But first, what we've got for you is Amy Bronstein with the war update on Iraq and Afghanistan. In Iraq on Thursday, April 7th, Defense Secretary Bob Gates stirred the pot on what he called his probably last trip to Iraq. In answer to a soldier's question about whether U.S. service personnel would be paid in the event of a federal government shutdown, Gates said there would be delays with payment, though owed pay would be rendered once the government starts up again. Mr. Gates also hinted strongly that it was nearing time for the Iraqi government to request that some of the nearly 50,000 U.S. soldiers stay in Iraq beyond the August 2012 withdrawal date. U.S. military commanders have made clear their belief that Iraq is still unready to defend itself. But, under a security agreement signed in late 2008, the U.S. cannot stay without a formal request from the Iraqi government. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki was only barely able to hold on to his post leading Iraq's government by forming a coalition with the followers of Muqtada al-Sadir, who was strongly against a continued U.S. military presence in Iraq. And on Friday, April 8th, in a response to a call from Muqtada al-Sadir, thousands of Shia Iraqis hit the streets to protest the U.S. military's continued presence in Iraq. After Secretary of Defense Bob Gates' comments on Thursday, Sadir, currently engaged in religious studies in Iran, sent a letter warning of a two-pronged resistance should the U.S. stay past the end of 2011. The first was to reactivate his Mahdi army, a Shia militia which Sadir disbanded in order to run candidates for public office. The second was a peaceful political strategy of sit-ins. In Afghanistan, on Thursday, April 7th, Taliban suicide bombers hit a police and military complex in Kandahar twice. The first time the attackers went in wearing suicide vests. After that, NATO and the military had blocked off the area, but they let an ambulance packed with explosives through the cordon. The combined attacks killed six and wounded 12. On Friday, April 8th, Pakistani officials stated they had been engaged in a firefight near Payazi on the Afghan border for two days. Unconfirmed estimates by the Pakistani government say that 80 suspected insurgents and some civilians had been killed in the firefights. I'm Amy Bronstein with a Core News War Update. Hi, this is Sean Bones, and we're listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. And now, for your WikiLeak of the Week. Diplomatic cables published by The Guardian and The Washington Post revealed that in February of 2010, Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh's government called in Saudi airstrikes against what they claimed was a rebel base. However, the bombing target was actually the military headquarters of General Ali Mohsen Al-Amar, a dissident and political rival of President Saleh. The Saudis grew suspicious and aborted the attack. Yemen has since become another front in a wave of pro-democracy movements sweeping across the Middle East and North Africa, 
with General Mohsen Al-Amar endorsing the anti-government demonstrators. I'm Amy Bronstein with a Core News WikiLeak of the Week. And you're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. We are streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Now it's time to turn to Sarah Morrison to find out what's going on in local news. Environmental Protection Group Edison Wetlands Association is suing two of the owners of nearby complex Briarton Center for illegally filling in wetlands in the area. Briarton Center is required to protect these areas as stated by the Environmental Protection Agency. They were ordered in 1995 to repair any damaged wetlands and the Edison Wetlands Association says that Briarton Center has yet to do so. The third owner is not cited in the lawsuit for it has been complying with the law. A Highland Park karate teacher was formally charged with improperly touching underage girls. Joel Levy, owner of the Family Martial Arts Academy in Highland Park, was arrested March 10th on these charges. Several other girls have come forward with similar stories after the March charges were announced, and county prosecutors are currently developing their case. Levy was released on $125,000 bail. Anyone with more information is welcome to call the Middlesex County Prosecutor's Office. Although former Perth Amboy Mayor Joseph Voss may be convicted of corruption and out of power, he certainly skipped town without paying the bill. An $85 million bill to be exact. The new police headquarters, municipal court, and YMCA rec center were considered the crowning achievement of his time as mayor. But the cost ended up being twice as much as the original estimate. City officials say that the cost will take until the year 2037 to pay off. New Jersey's First Lady Mary Pat Christie paid a visit to Edison on Friday in honor of Autism Awareness Month. Christie, who wishes to highlight New Jersey's unique programs for educating children with a range of autistic disorders, placed her order at Woodrow Wilson Middle School's Coffee House. The program has 12 boys that run the gamut of autistic disorders, where students run different aspects of running the business to help develop their social skills, crucial for those with the disorder. Christie says that she hopes her coffee purchase will shine a spotlight on autism issues at New Jersey's various autism programs. Good news for the city of New Brunswick. The city's population is over 50,000 according to the 2010 census. This makes the city eligible for more funding. The results of the census report that a little over 55,000 people live in the city, which qualifies it as an urban center in the eyes of the federal government. When applying for aid now, the city of New Brunswick no longer has to go through the state. It goes straight to the federal government. The population saw an 11% increase from the 2000 census, much to the surprise of many estimates, which hovered around 4% increase. Rutgers University police are investigating a rather flashy incident. Police are looking for a man who exposed himself at the Mabel Smith Douglas Library twice in the last two weeks. Both incidents occurred late at night on March 30th and April 1st. Investigators believe that the same man was behind both times, and they are currently reviewing surveillance footage, hoping for an ID. Witnesses say that the man is older, around six feet tall, unshaven, with short brown hair. Anyone with information is encouraged to notify Rutgers University Police. And Snooky Gate continues. State Senator Joe Carrillos said Friday that Rutgers students should not foot the bill for the pint-sized sensation, and he's saying it in legislation. Carrillos is proposing a bill that would give students the option to pay the student fees, the pool of money from which the $32,000 to pay Snooky came from, instead of the mandatory, ambiguous charge on each semester's term bill. He says that the students should have a greater option to choose where their money goes so that a degenerate reality television star... Yes, those are his words. Do not see that much money in the future. That was Sarah Morrison with your local news. 
And you are listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Streaming and, of course, podcasting online at thecore.fm. Now, we're going to hear from Norton. She's going to let us know how to handle some of our mental health difficulties. Or at least, you know, know a little bit more about them. Norton here with another uplifting installment of my Mood Disorders Mental Health Series. Last time I went over what mood disorders are and the difference between a major depressive episode and a case of the blues. Tonight I'll be covering what kinds of unipolar depression exist and what are some of the causes of depression. Yes, sadly, no pun intended, there is in fact more than just major depressive disorder under the heading of unipolar depression. Okay, so just two. No need to panic. One of them is indeed a major depressive episode. The other is called dysthymic disorder. Dysthymic disorder is diagnosed when a person experiences mild but chronic symptoms of depression for over two years. This kind of depression may last longer, but it's not nearly as crippling. And if it turns into a major depressive episode, it earns the title of double depression. Ouch. So we all know about the depressive side of mood disorders, but what causes such doldrums? There are lots of theories, and they are constantly being challenged and posited, so I won't be getting to all of them, or even the most recent ones. If you're highly curious, you can check out psychological magazines, websites, or just go to the Rutgers Counseling, ADAP, and Psychiatric Services, otherwise known as CAPS. The CAPS main office is located on College Ave at 17 Senior Street. They also maintain a counseling office on the Cook Douglas campus at 61 Nickel Avenue. Now, on to my glorious list. First off, we need to separate reactive or exogenous depression from endogenous depression. This is very easy. Reactive depression tends to follow a clear, stressful event. The death of a loved one, a major change in one's lifestyle, say, moving away from home and living on a college campus, losing your job, any of those things can lead to a case of reactive depression. Endogenous depression, on the other hand, is when the source of depression comes from within. These sources can range from biological, psychodynamic, or psychological, to cognitive. But I'm going to just focus on the cognitive and biological theories because they are backed by research. The biological causes of depression fall into two main fields, genetics and chemicals. Did you know that two relatives are 20% more likely to both experience depression in their lives than two random strangers? This tells scientists that some people may be genetically predisposed to depression. So imagine that someone in your family has suffered from depression. Let's say you experience a life trauma. What science has shown is that you are at a higher risk for depression than if no relative in your family had ever suffered from a depressive episode. Once again, I'm talking clinical depression, not just the blues. Twin studies and adoption studies have both supported an inheritance theory for depression as well. Biochemically speaking, depression seems to be linked to abnormal levels in some neurotransmitters such as serotonin and norepinephrine, and some hormones such as cortisol and melatonin. For those of you who listened to my SAD report, you remember that melatonin plays a big part in people suffering from SAD, which is basically a seasonal form of depression. However, your body isn't your only enemy in depression. There's also your mind. Again, cognitive has to do with how we interpret the world, how we take everything in around us, analyze it, and explain it. The three most popular cognitive theories are learned helplessness, attributions, and negative thinking. Learned helplessness says that people believe they have lost control of their lives. This leads to depression. 
Attributions is based on the internal, stable, and global attributions that result in feelings of helplessness. For example, an internal attribution means that the individual believes he or she is to blame. A stable attribution means that the way he or she is feeling will always remain. And finally, a global attribution is applied to everything. So let's say Sally fails her chem test. Sally's attributions will be, it's my fault, I'll always fail, I fail at everything I do. And finally, negative thinking is based on Beck's four interrelated cognitive components for unipolar depression. Maladaptive attitudes, the cognitive triad, errors in thinking, and having an autopilot for negative thoughts of inadequacy and hopelessness. While the autopilot for negative thoughts is self-explanatory, it might help if I explain the other three. Maladaptive attitudes are self-defeating attitudes which we develop in childhood and which can be triggered by strife later on. The cognitive triad is where you see yourself, your experiences, and your future in a negative way. Errors in thinking consist of negative conclusions without evidence, also called arbitrary inferences, and accentuating the negative in your life instead of the positive. Have hope, though. Unipolar depression is treatable for most people who suffer from it. In my next installment, I'll cover some treatment options, and then I'll dive into the second half of the mood disorders emotions. Mania. You can look forward to hearing all about mania from Norton and a future edition of The Core News. Right now, stay tuned, because when we come back, we're going to talk to Mary D. Duke. She's the editor-in-chief of The Daily Targum, and we'll find out about some things that have been going on around Rutgers last week and what we can look forward to coming up this week. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Hey! Hello? Hey, just calling to check up on you. You were crazy last night. It's all over Facebook. Wait, what? What are you talking about? What? Don't you remember? We went to the club, then to the bars. Wait, all this is on Facebook? Oh, no. Yeah, you were going shot for shot with that one guy. Wait, how much did you have last night anyway? I don't know. I can't even remember. This is so embarrassing. Well, at least you know how much fun you had now. Yeah, right. Binge drinking doesn't have to be the only kind of drinking. Two out of three Rutgers students stop at three drinks or fewer, and one in five don't even drink at all. This message is brought to you by the Rutgers Are You Sure campaign and 90.3 The Core. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Now it's time to talk to Daily Targum Editor-in-Chief Mary DeDuke about what is happening around Rutgers this week. So Mary, there was a conference at Rutgers this weekend? Uh, yes, Salam Namaste, which is which was um, hosted by PSA and AIR, which is the Pakistani Student Association, and then AIR is the Association of Indians at Rutgers. And both India and Pakistan are two conflicted regions of the world had a very, you know, strong history together. So basically this conference was an attempt of the students to show on campus that these groups can coexist in harmony and to discuss the problems and learn about the history together and, you know, try to work through these problems. And then um, after the panel discussions in the conference, there was a concert at Nicholas Music Center on Douglas. It's, it's especially important in light of what the university experienced this past year, especially in the beginning part of the semester in January and February, where two groups on campus, Baca and 
um, Rutgers Hillel sort of clashed heads, um, especially over a lot of events that were hosted and a lot of letters that were published in the Daily Targum. Well, what is Baca? They say that they are a pro-peace group, but they lean, you know, pro-Palestinian. Um, they're on the Palestinian side of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and obviously Rutgers Hillel is pro-Israel. And those two groups historically have clashed um, in their respective countries. So a lot of that sentiment was, was felt on this campus, especially in the beginning part of the semester, by those groups. Yeah, so now we have uh, other groups on campus demonstrating that, you know, we, we can all live together peacefully. Yeah, so I think it is good, and it does show that um, that Rutgers, that there is groups coexisting peacefully on campus. And, and speaking of coexisting peacefully, there were some incidents on Douglas campus where I guess there, there was some less than peaceful coexistence in the library? Oh, yeah. Um, the end of March on two dates, March 30th and March 31st in the at around midnight and 1.30 in the morning, um, a male exposed himself, as the authorities said, to individuals in the library. Uh, so both times are described as a white male. And the police aren't sure if it's the same person, but they suspect it is, but they are still trying to find this individual. So if anyone has information, contact the RUPD. Yeah, I imagine there aren't too many incidents like that in the library. No, and One I think can only hope. it is interesting because they were on consecutive dates around the same time. So, Yes, yeah, so we'll all have to be on the lookout for that or maybe on the not lookout yeah. for that. So as we were discussing last week, a walkout is planned for this coming Wednesday. I believe it's the 13th of April. Mm-hmm. It's the Walk for Action, and it's hosted by the, or it has been coordinated by the New Jersey United Students Group, which is sort of a union of college students from public universities across the state. And basically, it's an attempt to show that students can rally together and in unity and protest on the individual campuses across the state for public education and tuition increases and, you know, getting the money from the state that we need to go to school. So what time is the walkout scheduled for? It's at 2. It's going to be at Voorhees and Voorhees Mall by um, Willie the Silent, the statue. That's where they're planning on holding the event. And they're going to have people speaking? Yes, they're going to have like, students speaking and union members speaking, just, you know, showing their solidarity for the cause. And I think it's expected to last until about five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're coming from far away or if you really, really can't walk out of your class, mm-hmm. you're having a test or something, then you can you can still go down and make your voice heard if you want. Yeah. Um, apparently some professors might be taking their students there or might not be, um, you know, marking them absent if they decide to go. So check with your professors if you have a class in Borges Mall and see if you can get ahead of class and show your support for this cause. In another green grassy area in the College Avenue campus, um, something's happening in Bugalo Park. Yes, um, there's been some controversy um, over the whole renovation of the sewage pump that's in Bugalo Park. Basically, the city is claiming that it is in need of repair, um, this sewage pump. And they, if you run past it or if you walk past it or if you just hang out in that area, you can see the construction. They're digging down and trying to fix what they need to. But there are some residents who believe that, you know, the city is going too far and that they are expanding it beyond what, you know, the, the deed of the, the plot of land, you know, um, says that it can. So um, it's an interesting situation. But the city just sort of 
um, make up for it. Um, the city claims that you know they are within well within their rights and their limits to do this. You know they've had professional surveyors and everything check it out. So, but um, to sort of make up for it, um, they plan on helping to renovate the Bucolo Mansion that is in the park. Right. I don't, I don't remember if I've ever actually been in there. No, but they do have tours so that are open to the public. So it's yeah, a nice so building, something we can check out. Mm-hmm. The person who is sort of spearheading the campaign against the whole Bucolo pump sewage renovation is um, a New Brunswick resident named Bruce Newling. He is a former university professor, a former um, geographer. So he has measured the land himself, he claims, and he says that, you know, the city is going beyond what they're allowed to in their renovation. So that's sort of the source of this. Right, so we'll have to follow that and see what happens because on the one hand, you don't want... uh you don't want anything to destroy the tranquility of the park, but on the other hand, if there's one thing you don't want anything going wrong with, it's sewage. Right. So we'll have to see what happens there. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. We are streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. And we've been speaking with Mary Duke. She is the editor-in-chief of The Daily Targum here at Rutgers. If you'd like to read more about any of these stories, you can check out The Daily Targum online at dailytargum.com. The Core News will be back right after this. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This is Nerdpocalypse with DJ Calamari, bringing you the latest in comic and video gaming news. Marvel's Thor is getting animated. Just a few days after the live-action Thor movie is released, Marvel will be releasing the animated film Thor, Tales of Asgard. The film will detail Thor's youth and the challenges he faced as a teenager. A movie clip released shows the Marvel god as a rowdy teenager ready for adventure. The movie will be released on DVD and Blu-ray on May 17th. For DC Comics... More information was released about the Superman reboot set to be released in 2012. It has been revealed that the villain of the film will be General Zod, which will be played by Michael Shannon, who stars in Boardwalk Empire. General Zod was the main villain in Superman 2. The other cast members for the film, titled Man of Steel, are Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Diane Lane and Kevin Costner as Martha and Jonathan Kent, Superman's adoptive parents, and British Henry Cavill as Superman. Finally, a teaser trailer for the new Sonic the Hedgehog game was released by Sega. The game, titled Sonic Generations, is believed to star both original-style Sonic and new-style Sonic. Nothing more has been released. Also, it has been confirmed that a new Twisted Metal will be released for PlayStation 3 on October 3rd. In what was initially planned as a downloadable title, it is now the first original game in five years for the franchise. The trailer shows the game as being even more violent than the previous installments, with some changes, but it still remains true to the overall aesthetic of the series. This has been Nerdpocalypse with DJ Calamari. Stay tuned for some more great core radio. So speaking of core radio, you hear music all week long on the core. But what music have people been liking the most? Well, you'll find out if you stay tuned to the very end of this new music update. Here's Justin Magic. Folk artists The Mountain Goats have announced that they will be opening for Bright Eyes and their upcoming tour. The tour will be throughout most of North America and parts of Asia. Both bands will put on a free show in Lewiston, New York. For The Mountain Goats, this tour will help support their new album, All Eternal's Deck. The lineup for this year's Woodfist Festival has been announced. 
The Woodfist Festival takes place this year, July 30th and 31st, in Big Sur, California. Bands playing at this event will be Real Estate, DuckTales, and White Fence. More bands are scheduled to appear. TV on the Radio's new album, Nine Types of Light, comes out tomorrow officially, but last Tuesday the band leaked the album on Rhapsody.com. After the album leaked online, the band also revealed that a movie has been made to go along with this album. It's not currently known when this movie will be released, but as of right now, it's known to be about 30 minutes long. The memory tapes have revealed that their new album, Player Piano, will be released sometime this year. This will be the band's second album, but they have already revealed plans for a third album. The Beastie Boys have a new movie coming out in support of their upcoming album, The Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. The film has a host of celebrity cameos, including Danny McBride, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Jason Schwartzman, Seth Rogen, and Susan Sarandon. The movie is visualized as a classic throwback to the band's music video, Fight for Your Right to Party. And now here are your 90.3 The Core Charts for the week of April 5th. At number 10 was Toro y Moi with Underneath the Pine. Number 9 was He Gets Me High by the Dum Dum Girls. 8 was The Mountain Goats with All Eternals Deck. 7 was Telekinesis with 12 Desperate Straight Lines. 6 was the Will Do single off the new TV on the radio album. 5 was The Joy Formidable with The Big Roar. 4 was Smith West Ange with Diet Blonde. 3 was Yuck's self-titled debut album. Number 2 was The Strokes with Angles. And number one was The King of Limbs by Radiohead. With your 90.3 The Core Music News, this has been Justin Magic. Hello everybody, this is Andrew WK. You're tuned in and listening to RLCWVPH Piscataway. My name is Andrew WK, as I said earlier, and you are listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. And now it's time to find out what's going on this week at the Rutgers Zone. Located right here in the Livingston Student Center on the beautiful Livingston campus. Hi, this is Lisa from the Rucker Zone, and these are the upcoming events for the week of April 11, 2011. On Wednesday, April 13th at 9 o'clock p.m., we have the weekly trivia tournament. Please register your team by 8.30 in order to challenge your peers. You can sample in-house appetizers for every participant, and the winning team members get an RU Express gift card courtesy of Rupa. On Thursday, April 14th, come for Zone Late Night from 10 to 1 a.m. Secure for the Common Thursday. On Thursday, April 14th, we also have the Rucker Zone's first birthday party. Come celebrate with us all night and day. From noon to 10 p.m., take advantage of our special promotion, 25-cent ice cream cones from 8 to 1 a.m. Come celebrate with the Rucker Zone for the full year of operation, plus a live DJ, fresh popcorn, s'mores, cotton candy, and a moon bounce. On Friday, April 15th, we're closed for Rucker's Fest, so enjoy. And then if you want more information about the zone, go to zone.ruckers.edu. That's all for this week's edition of The Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7 p.m. right here on 90.3 The Core. Or if, you know, you're going to be napping from staying up all night at Rutgers Fest the previous Friday, well, then you can just catch our podcast. That's online at thecore.fm. If you'd like to contact The Core News... You can send some email to news at thecore.fm. Let us know how you feel about the core news. Suggest some news stories that you think we should be covering. Or, you know, just say hi. The core news has been brought to you by Amy Bronstein.
Sarah Morrison. Norton. DJ Calamari. Justin Matchick. Stephen Yannick. And Mindy Hoffman. You've been listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core.